From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, she makes it easy and helps keep more money in your wallet. This is For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Haq. Welcome to a new episode of For What It's Worth. I'm your host, Rabina Ahmed Haq. I am so happy that you're here with us this week because there has been a lot of information that was released in the last seven days since our last program that really does impact your wallet and helps us understand the kind of economy that we're in right now. On Tuesday, we heard from uh, Statistics Canada. They released uh, inflation data for the month of October. They showed that the annual inflation rate in Canada for the month of October fell from 3.8% to 3.1% month over month. So that means the same basket of goods uh, that we could buy back in October of 2022 now cost us 3.1% more. And that is an improvement because in September, that same basket of goods year over year was 3.8%. So we are moving in the right direction. And this is true for food inflation as well, which came in lower month over month. Um, And that's something that affects us on a daily basis. We all know what we have been experiencing when it comes to grocery store prices. There are a number of things that are happening right now. Now, uh, grocery code of conduct, that's one uh, which we talked about last week, which hopes to uh, make it more transparent, the relationship between suppliers and grocers and what fees they can charge. There's also talks happening in Ottawa right now. Uh, asking grocers to help them, uh, how they can help them stabilize prices. Uh, Empire Foods, which owns uh, Sobeys and Farm Boy and Freshco and IGA, uh, to name a few, they say they're going to freeze prices on 20,000 different products that they carry. So these are um, packaged products that they carry until January 2024. So that's the commitment that they have made uh, when it comes to stabilizing food prices. It's something that they said that they do all the time, but they don't announce it. Come on. A big corporation helps out consumers, doesn't announce it, uh, but that's what they say. But that the, the fact remains that they are going to be freezing prices on these uh, 20,000 different items so we can at least get some predictability when we are in the store. The second piece that we got was the fall economic statement. And then there was a lot in there. A lot of the things that they announced are actually not going to come uh, to fruition until 2025. So money for uh, rental housing, building rental housing, which is a huge crisis in this country. Uh, in major cities, for example, an average one-bedroom apartment fit Vancouver and Toronto being a good example is uh, more than $2,000. And that's, you know, really um, a a very, very basic apartment. If you're looking at anything in a a better area or with more amenities, you're going to be paying even more. Uh, But one of the big things that they mentioned is the mortgage stress test. And they've brought in new rules uh, for those who will be renewing their mortgage in the next two years. They say that if you decide to take your mortgage to a new lender, because you're getting a better rate, you will not have to go through the stress test again. This was the major concern. As mortgages come up for renewal, especially those who fixed their mortgage rate back in 2021, and they are maybe paying 2% or just a little bit higher, they will be now renewing their mortgage in a much higher interest rate environment. Now, if you stay with your lender, they do not stress test you. They don't do any uh, application. Uh, they don't look at your finances in the same way. They simply renew your mortgage at the rate that they can offer you. 
and you start that new payment schedule. But homeowners want to have the ability to shop around uh, because this is really, you know, the difference between paying maybe $2,000 a month or $1,700 a month. So hundreds of dollars in some cases. Again, I'm, I'm using those numbers as an example. They're not based in any math, but it can be the difference between, uh, you know, a few hundred dollars savings or not. And so they're saying, the federal government, is that the new rules will be that uh, borrowers who are now renewing in this higher interest rate environment, if they pass the first time, the stress test, which is why it was put in place to make sure you could pay your money, pay your mortgage at a higher rate, they will not have to go through the stress test again. There is a note there on the side, a side note that they didn't mention, is that if you take your mortgage to a new lender, you do have to fill out a new application. So you do have to show that um, your what your income is and all your other financials. So it's not like just simply porting it over to a new bank, you still have to go through that entire process and they may reject your application. So that's just something to bear in mind. We have a fantastic show coming up. We're going to talk about crypto investing. A lot of news lately has got people worried about whether this is a safe place to put your money. We'll be talking to an expert in that space. And also it's almost the end of financial literacy month. So we'll have somebody on from Financial Consumer Agency of Canada to talk about some of the successes of this month and what to think about going into 2024. I'm Rubina Ahmed-Huck. This is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rubina Ahmed-Huck. Cryptocurrency has been around for more than a decade. In that time, many have invested in the alternative currency. But the recent conviction of a crypto exchange founder could lead to some wondering who to trust in this financial space. To talk about crypto investing and how to do it safely, we are joined by Tal Schwartz. Tal is a general partner at Wicked Ventures. He also writes the weekly Canadian FinTech newsletter. Welcome to the program, Tal. Hi, Rubina. Thanks for having me. Um, so I alluded to the conviction of, uh, of a founder or of, of, of a currency exchange, a cryptocurrency exchange. His name's Sam Bankman-Fried. Many people, of course, have heard of him. Um, what does it do when you have these sort of high-profile stories? Uh, what does it do to the reputation of cryptocurrency, which already is something that people still consider quite fringe? Yeah, the conviction of uh, Sam Bankman-Fried or... Uh, SBF, as he's uh, affectionately referred to, uh, definitely gave a huge black eye. I'm not uh, that close to him, so I just (laughs) call him by his name. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, his his conviction uh, uh, really did not do um, uh, any favors for the uh, for the crypto uh, industry. Um, And for for just to kind of back up a little bit, I mean, FTX huge global uh, crypto exchange um, was really the darling of the crypto industry for 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 many years so his conviction uh, was particularly acute um, and it's really led to a ton of skepticism both on the investor side so like mom and pop retail uh, investors like you and me but also has led to renewed uh, quite uh, brutal uh, scrutiny amongst regulators as well. So local regulators, international regulators. Um, and it's, it's kind of like, again, particularly interesting that we're having this conversation right now, because just in the last few days, Binance, which was uh, intimately involved in the collapse of, of FTX uh, and is now the uh, largest crypto exchange globally, um, 
it just paid uh, or has to pay four and a half billion US dollars in penalties to the US Department of Justice. And their CEO just pled guilty to charges of money laundering, unlicensed uh, money transmission and various uh, sanctions violations. So their CEO, uh, who also has a, a, a cool acronym for, uh, for his name, CZ, um, uh, stepped down uh, quite publicly. And, and that's not really even like the extent to it. I mean, he's still being, or the company's still being investigated uh, for financial crimes by the SEC and the, the Commodities uh, Futures uh, Trading Commission. And so, and, and, and if you were to take a step back, I mean, Binance does like two thirds of all um, uh, crypto uh, that is exchanged globally, like touches that company. So, you know, for, for that company to dissolve would have massive, massive impacts on, on the entire industry. Um, you know, I can imagine like that... someone, I can imagine someone listening to this because uh, cryptocurrency, I think for most people uh, be the, you know, someone who's been investing for decades and is very confident in the stock market or just, a you know, someone who's first learning about it is still something that people don't fully understand, uh, even where to get access to information. But if someone is still, even despite hearing all of this, still feeling like, you know, I still have faith in cryptocurrency, um, where does someone even start learning about what, where they can get information that is safe and good for them? Totally. Um, and, and, and look, and, and everything that I said that I, you know, in that preamble, uh, yeah, I still think that crypto is an incredibly interesting, you know, asset class, it's highly liquid. Uh, it's, it's not strongly correlated to the, uh, to the stock market or other types of commodities. Um, so the advice that I always give for, you know, the, the crypto curious, um, is really the same kind of advice that I would give to anyone just getting, uh, like kind of dipping their toe into more traditional uh, finance. So, you know, start small, smart, start with small amounts of money that you're comfortable uh, losing. Uh, that's kind of an, an important disclaimer to start with. And then I would also recommend starting with like the blue chip equivalents in crypto. So the names that you probably have heard of, uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum, you know, these have, those, those two coins have very large market caps. They're incredibly liquid. Every exchange, you know, would allow you to buy and sell them. Um, and and that would be that. I mean, that is the advice that I give uh, uh, everyone uh, trying to get into uh, into crypto for the first time. Now, for those people who want to uh, uh, trade crypto, especially if they want to do it frequently, a uh, crypto exchange is the, their best place to be. Uh, but how do you how do you find out whether where you are uh, trading your money is a safe place? Um, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people two years ago felt that FTX was an okay place to be trading their money, uh, trading their cryptocurrency at least. Um, how do you, how do you how do you do those checks and balances? Because they're not like uh, traditional exchanges uh, that you know you may open a self directed account at a, at a bank and then you know buy buy stocks and bonds that way. Totally. No, that's an excellent excellent question. So I I think there's sort of two ways of answering uh, this. There's there's kind of like a reputational check um, that you can do uh, on on you know whether you want to open up an account with a crypto exchange. So that could be you know, asking questions like, do I know other people that are using this exchange? Do I feel comfortable using it too? Can I find reputable reviews for, for, for this exchange? Um, and then the second check 
would be more of like a compliance um, uh, check. So asking yourself questions like, is this exchange regulated? I mean, it sounds like a pretty simple question, but there are tons of examples of unregulated exchanges that are operating in various markets. I mean, right here in Canada, you know, Coinbase and Kraken were, were operating kind of quietly, not regulated for years. And it's only recently that they've said, hey, we're actually going to be regulated now and we're taking steps towards it. Uh, you can also ask yourself questions like, you know, where is this exchange operating? Uh, or where is it based? Is it based in the Cayman Islands or is it based in Canada? Uh, and then the obvious, or the one that sometimes it, I think it's obvious, but sometimes it, you know, it, it isn't, uh, is are there any pending lawsuits? You know, like is the SEC investigating this exchange? Um, it, it, you know, those are, it, it sounds kind of silly, but I, I, like, as I said, sort of in at the top of this convo, there are tons of exchanges being investigated by the Justice Department and the SEC. And so it's important to kind of take those into consideration when picking which exchange uh, yeah, you, you want to use. You know, we spend so much time doing deep dives into products that we buy online, into the reviews. And sometimes when we're dealing with our money, we don't take that same kind of critical thinking. Um, we don't really use that as much. And, and those are great points just to, you know, find out where they're based and and, and talk to your friends to see who what they are using. Talk to people who are uh, in the finance world to see what they are using. Um I often will post something on social media and then I'll get somebody, you know, a, a, it obviously is a scam saying, you know, you can get X amount of crypto, whatever one that they're mentioning, be it Ethereum or Bitcoin by doing X, Y, and Z. I know that's a scam, but that may be obvious, but there's other scams out there that uh, try to lure people into buying cryptocurrency. Um, how, how, how do we detect whether something is uh, legitimate or not, uh, it, especially if it's something that's being pushed to you saying this is a great way for you to get involved with cryptocurrency? So, so to, I mean, to a, to a certain extent, you can kind of use the exchange as a bit of a proxy for whether you're going to be scammed or not. And what I mean by that is, you know, if the exchange is, you know, like a, a is basically, you know, the platform that you're buying and selling these, these, um, uh, these assets on, just like, you know, you would go to Fidelity or you'd go to Quest Trade to buy, you know, equities. Um, the exchange itself has to go and underwrite, you know, each new coin or each new asset that they're going to offer onto their platform. So, you know, a very reputable uh, or top tier exchange is, is, is not going to, or is going to try very hard not to onboard coins that are, um, uh, you know, potentially like pump and dumped, uh, uh, um, you know, assets that, you know, you could potentially lose a lot of money with, um, you know, that being said, and I mean, and, and I think you actually said this already, you, you still need to do your own research. I mean, there's only so many kind of proxies that you can use. Ultimately you do need to, um, uh, use that, that, like I said, that reputation check and that kind of compliance check, uh, and sort of take that responsibility uh, on yourself if, if you're interested in getting involved in this, uh, in this uh, arena. We're speaking to Tal Schwartz. He is general partner at Wicked Ventures, and he also writes a weekly uh, newsletter called Canadian FinTech. Um, ETFs, uh, they have gotten into the crypto game. You can buy a number of different ETFs that follow the performance of different types of cryptocurrency. Um, what are your thoughts on investing in cryptocurrency using that vehicle? I love ETFs. I mean, pretty much the the majority of my uh, investment portfolio is in ETFs. Uh, the 
uh, the kind of ETFs that I typically buy and, and the ones that, you know, listeners are probably most familiar with uh, would be, um, you know, tracking an index like the NASDAQ or the TSX, or maybe tracking like a commodity like gold. Uh, so you, in Canada, you know, we do have ETFs that, that track uh, crypto uh, as well. And the advantage of that is one, it becomes way more accessible because now you don't have to go to a crypto exchange. You can just go to Questrade or, or you know, uh, Fidelity and, and, and purchase one of these. You also don't have to take on any of the risk of owning, you know, the Bitcoin itself, uh, but you're still exposed to the, to the asset. And probably the coolest part about uh, purchasing through an ETF is you can now hold it in one of your registered accounts. So you can actually hold a, uh, a crypto ETF in your TFSA or your RSP um, and, you know, make like tax sheltered uh, capital gains over time. Uh, so I think they're, they're really, really interesting uh, products to use and a great uh, gateway uh, into the asset class as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm the same way. I think ETFs are, um, they're so, the management fees are so low now compared to sort of traditional mutual funds and they just diversify you. Um, whatever industry that you're you're wanting to invest in, it's not like you're just in one one uh, company or even one industry. You can, as you said, you can be, uh, you can do a lot of index investing uh, with ETFs as well. Um, you said there was a lot of news this week uh, in the crypto space. Is there anything that we missed uh, that you, you think are listening should know about it, especially if they're thinking of getting involved uh, with crypto investing. Yeah, so I mean, like I said, the big news this week is is Binance, um, uh, which was, you know, at the time of FTX, like the other kind of big 10,000 pound gorilla in that space. So there's going to be a huge amount of scrutiny um, uh, on exchanges coming out of the US over the, the next uh, few months. I think in Canada specifically, I mean, look, we have a very different, um, you know, legal system. We're actually quite progressive when it comes to uh, regulating exchanges. There are many, uh, like, totally above board regulated exchanges in Canada. Like, I, I really want to stress that. Um, uh, but the there there will be a ton of regulatory scrutiny, uh, both inside of Canada and in other markets over the next few months. And uh, we're, we're already starting to see it. So it's becoming, uh, you know, an incredibly spicy topic. Yeah, I think crypto for spicy is a good way to put it. It's always been uh, something that it's very polarizing too. Some people really believe in it. And some people think that it's just not uh, worth them getting involved. Tal, thank you so much uh, for uh, joining us today on the program and getting us up to date on what we should be doing if we're thinking of investing in cryptocurrency. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. That's Tal Schwartz. He is general partner at Wicked Ventures. He also writes the weekly Canadian fintech newsletter. We are going to take a quick break. Coming up, we are almost at the end of Financial Literacy Month. What are some things we should be focused on when it comes to our personal finances, especially as we head into a new year? We'll have the details on that after the break. I'm Rabina Ahmad Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina ahmed Hawk. November is Financial Literacy Month. It's 30 days of focused campaigns and events to help Canadians better understand their personal finances. Financial Literacy Month is sponsored by Financial Consumer Agency of Canada, and the focus is on managing debt. FCAC is committed to helping Canadians improve their financial well-being through their national financial literacy strategy, which is from 2021 to 2026. 
Uh, to tell us more about this month and also about the strategy, we are joined by FCAC's Deputy Commissioner, Dr. Supriya Sayal. Hi, welcome to the program. Uh, hi, Rubina. Thank you for having me and uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, you know, financial wellness is something, as you can imagine, on my program, we talk about uh, almost every week. Uh, why is it so important for FCAC to continue to promote uh, financial literacy, especially in this condensed month where there are a lot of different events across the country? Yeah, so, you know, Financial Literacy Month is really a time for um, us to come together you know, it's 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 about rallying the troops, if you will, in support of this very important mission that we share, which is improving the financial literacy of Canadians in the service of good financial outcomes. So financial literacy is obviously the means to the end, the end being good financial outcomes that can help people live better financial lives. Um, the central unifying body in this country uh, through Financial Literacy Month, we bring the voices of different stakeholders across the country together to really highlight the importance of the matter and to um, also speak to the progress that has been made vis-a-vis -vis the National Financial Literacy Strategy and what remains to be done so that we can uh, collectively help Canadians achieve better financial outcomes and improve their financial resilience. Tell me a little bit about the National Financial Literacy Strategy, which is a five-year-long initiative. Um, why that amount of time, uh, and, and what's sort of the the hope that it accomplishes in five years? Yeah, so this National Financial Literacy Strategy, you know, was released in 2021, uh, and it has, sort of has a vision of Canada where everyone can build financial resilience in an increasingly digital world. Uh, and it is centered uh, on the need for change in the financial ecosystem. Uh, and in doing so, you know, it, it represents an important shift from how we previously talked about financial literacy. So previously we've talked about uh, consumers having uh, the onus or, or owning fully the responsibility for good financial outcomes, whereas now, you know, we're talking about it in a more holistic and a more collectivist way where we're saying, that the entire financial ecosystem, so that includes organizations such as governments, regulators, the financial services industry, non-governmental community organizations, we all have a role to play in helping Canadians improve financial literacy, financial outcomes, financial resilience. Uh, and the way the strategy proposes we do this is through changes in the financial ecosystem that will in turn help Canadians strengthen uh, their financial literacy and build good financial behaviors. Uh, so the strategy speaks to uh, reducing barriers in the ecosystem that may be preventing Canadians from taking uh, financial decisions that are good for them. And it speaks to adding catalysts to the ecosystem, which will also help Canadians uh, take better decisions that ultimately will serve them for their financial needs. So an example of a barrier, for instance, is incomprehensible financial information, which is too complicated, is too difficult for people to understand. So what we're saying through the strategy is that we as the ecosystem need to communicate in ways that people understand so that they can then use that information to make decisions that are good for them. 
An example of a catalyst is, say, is saying, well, we need to increase access to affordable and trustworthy financial help because sometimes, you know, people just need help with their financial decisions. I mean, you, me, all of us, we're, none of us are experts uh, in, in, in every financial decision that needs to be made. And so we're saying, well, if we increase access to financial help that Canadians can both trust and afford, then that'll be a catalyst we will have added to the system that will help people make good financial decisions. And to answer your question about why is it this long? Well, it takes a long time to change a system. It also takes a long time for it to percolate across you know, a nation and for, for these decisions to start paying off for people in terms of, you know, I make a financial decision today uh, about, let's say I'm starting to save more money or I'm starting to pay down my debt. It's going to take some time before I've really achieved the outcome that I've set for myself. So we want to make sure that we've, We've created a strategy that's long enough to really have those beneficial effects uh, for financial consumers in Canada. Um, you mentioned how the 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 way that we send our messages or you send your messages about financial literacy, the way we even consume it has changed. Number one being most of us get our information um, on our phones, digitally, on our computers. Um, you know, we're not uh, going into a financial institution sitting across from someone and learning about our money in that way anymore, most of us anyways. Um, expand on that a little bit, how that messaging has changed and and how it's get, how you're making sure it gets to the people that need it the most. Yeah, so, you know, there's, there's two things there. So one is sort of the channel of consumption, as you're talking about, Rubina, you're totally right to note that. You know, uh, banking used to happen in an analog world where based on a lot of face-to-face -face interactions, whereas now a lot of it is happening digitally and online. Um, I would say that, so so that does create, on the one hand, uh, you know, uh, opportunities for making sure that uh, people are receiving information in the right way. So they're not glazing over information that is pertinent to them, important to them. It also creates uh, the ability for us as an ecosystem to really make sure that we are getting the right information in the hands of, the, of, of Canadians at the right time, which is really such an important thing because you're most likely to use uh, information, any kind of information, financial information, information about groceries, information about furniture, anything, at the time that that thing is most relevant to you. You know, I I, I joke about how uh, when I, I was looking for my car that I drive now, it's a, it's an electric car and I never paid as much attention to electric cars on the road as I started paying once I was driving an electric car or once I wanted to start driving an electric car. So it's like your mind makes you pay attention to those things that are most relevant to you. So what this new new these new channels of communication are allowing us to do or should allow us to do and we should be doing through them is making sure we're getting the right information uh, in the hands of Canadians at the right time. I will say specifically right now is a time in Canada where you know the financial landscape is being characterized by a lot of change. There's higher cost of living, there's rising interest rates, record levels of household debt. So in this time, it is important that we get information about managing debt in the hands of Canadians 
more more red make, make it more readily accessible to people and that is why the focus of FLM this year has been uh this piece on on, on bet, better managing debt so that we can give people the information that they need right now that they can use immediately I know FCAC offers uh, information in many different languages, um, but there's also the cultural piece that I often worry about. Uh, people may come from places and, and move to Canada where they don't have a cultural understanding of how the banking system works, uh, or they don't they never had access to credit before, maybe where, where they lived, uh, or not as easily access to credit the way that you know, sometimes you are at a grocery store and you're offered a credit card with your when you with your bread and, and eggs purchase. Um, those are some of the areas that I see needing a lot of support, especially when it comes to just getting that just in time information like you talked about. But are there areas including that that you see as being areas that really need to be focused on as as you head into sort of the later part of the the, the literacy strategy? Yeah, so you know one of the uh, as I was saying with this about reducing barriers and adding catalysts, and one of the ways in which we want to reduce barriers is that priority number two of the strategy, which is uh, build and provide for diverse needs, which speaks uh, to the point that you're making that you know there is no average Canadian, if you will, right? We're not a homogenous population. We should not try to treat people uh, as such. We need to tailor resources to the specific needs of specific audiences. Um, and I will say, as linked to the strategy, there's a number of organizations in the country who are doing precisely this. So organizations that are offering, you know, introductory financial literacy programs to Adult learners, which may include, as you noted, newcomers to Canada or people with other diverse abilities, people who speak different languages. There are organizations that are translating financial literacy materials into different languages uh, so that people can learn uh, in the way that is easiest for them. Uh, and in, I'll say, in fact, uh, FCSC hosts an annual uh, student challenge, which is uh, Building Better Futures student challenge for post-secondary students. And one of the winning um, submissions this year from all over the country uh, uh, was a program that is specifically targeted at uh, newcomers, so immigrants to Canada who have come here with you know different financial experiences. They're not really experienced in the way our, our financial system works. Um, and things like that are so, so very important for us to do. Uh, to make sure that we are providing for the needs of all uh, the people who live uh, in this country from coast to coast to coast. We're speaking to FCAC's Deputy Commissioner, Dr. Supriya Sayal. Uh, uh, Supriya, as a last question, as we head into the new year, uh, what are your hopes, Some maybe some inspiration that you've seen in the last month with Financial Literacy Month that you hope Canadians pay attention to uh, uh, in 2024? Yeah, so, you know, building on this theme of, of managing debt and managing your money in a changing world, I think some of our key messaging has been around uh, managing debt better. So we've, we've done things like provided tips to people, which would include things like make a list of debts, you know, create a plan to repay those debts, prioritize a debt repayment based on interest rates, uh, consider consolidating high interest debt, so very specific targeted things that people can do to make their lives easier, to make their debt more manageable, to make it less stressful. 
Um, and I'll also say that, uh, you know, another thing we've done, for instance, is we've issued a, a mortgage guideline, which is specifically responding to the current climate vis-a-vis -vis mortgages where interest rates have gone up and, and Canadians are facing, at least some Canadians are facing um, uh, uh, problems in terms of mortgage repayments. So if, the, if you are one such Canadian, I would highly encourage you to go and talk to your bank uh, because banks are um, banks have been we have communicated to the banks that we expect them to you know proactively monitor consumers at risk, but also that consumers can contact their financial institutions and then that financial institution uh, we expect that financial institution to provide tailored support to consumers. So, so, so one to answer your question, you know, look at your own situation, try to make a plan for that specific situation too. If you feel like you need help, or if you feel like uh, there is even a question, we very much encourage you to go and talk to your financial institution or to your financial planner or to a financial literacy community group. All of these people are here to help. They're all here to provide support in ways that will work for you specifically. And then the third and final thing I'll say is we really need to talk about money. You know, we spend so much time in society talking about so many things. And yet money, which is such a fundamental part of our everyday lives, is somehow a taboo subject where we think it's not okay to ask those questions or it somehow reflects poorly on us if we are not all experts in the field. And really, that is just a societal taboo we need to get rid of. It is not at all true that people need to be experts. It is, it is absolutely true that people should be able to access help in making these decisions. So whether you're having those conversations with your friends and family, whether you're having them with your financial advisors, whether you're having them um, such as you are, Rubina, um, so and to encourage people to have these types of conversations, I would really, I would, I would, I would say, I underscore the importance of that kind of thing because that's how we're going to move forward as a society, and that's how we're going to make change that counts uh, for Canadians. Thank you so much uh, for joining us uh, today and making time to talk about what FCAC is doing and uh, about uh, the events that were held across this month. There's still a little bit of time if people want to get uh, uh, get some financial literacy um, knowledge uh, through through some things that are happening. Uh, but I really uh, thank you for your time and, and for explaining uh, what you're doing to help Canadians understand their money better. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. That was FCAC's Deputy Commissioner, Dr. Supriya Sayal, talking about Financial Literacy Month and also about the initiative uh, to continue to help Canadians manage their money better. Coming up, how much do your friendships impact your personal finances? I'm going to break that down a little bit in the next segment, and it may have you rethinking some of the people you spend time with. I'm Rubina Ahmed Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, you're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed-Hawk. The best things 
in life for free. People that you hang out with really do dictate the kind of life you have, right? You know that saying, you are the sum of the five people that you spend the most time with. And that's true for our money as well. Uh, Recently, I read a blog post uh, from Robin Thompson. She is a money blogger uh, talking about how our friendships affect our wealth. Now, We will have Robin on the program next week to break down not just this story, but other things that she has been uh, talking about. She talks a lot about uh, money trauma that we have from our childhood that really affects the way that we spend our money. But in this this specific blog, hard word, eh? Specific. This specific blog, she really talks about how when you're with people who spend in a certain way, we definitely mimic that. And that can really help or hinder uh, reaching our own financial goals. For example, if your friends are big spenders and they buy luxury items, they normalize, you know, wearing brand names all the time, uh, that make me encourage you to spend more money on things uh, that may not have much value to you. And in fact, you may not even be able to afford them. As a side note, and I'm going to talk more about this later in the year, uh, but my New Year's resolution this year, I've already decided what it's going to be. I will not buy anything that has a brand name on it. Even if I want to buy something that's by a brand, I'm going to look for something that does not have any branding on it because I'm just sort of fed up for lack of a better way of putting it, of advertising other people's businesses for and things that I have paid for. So that's a side note. I will get into more uh, later in the year on a program closer to New Year's Eve when we start thinking about our resolutions. But really, you know, Robin talks about in her in her blog about how we can get really competitive with our spending and we can end up spending um, uh, more. Um, we also uh, may have buyer's remorse. So we buy those things and we regret them. Uh, we bought them because, you know, we felt encouraged by one of our friends uh, that was buying, you know, a fancy car or redecorating their house. How many times have you been out to somebody's house? This is really speaking to sort of, you know, the suburban moms of my uh, my listening group. Uh, you've been to someone's house and you're like, wow, their house is so beautiful. Then you go to a decor store and you spend money on things that you don't need or want or care about and maybe you can't even afford uh, because you want to compete with that, that same feeling. So it can, it can sometimes get us away from really um, buying things that we actually need and making us regret. Um, the other thing is how where you spend time on social media, right? So if you're constantly following people that are in a different socioeconomic bracket than you that have way more money money and you're trying to compete with celebrities or big business owners, you're always going to be financially behind because we're making emotional decisions based on what we think we should have rather than what we can actually afford. So I guess my best advice to you after this rant is really think about the people that you spend time with and if they share your money values. Uh, Do they save in the way that you like to save? Do they spend in the way that you like to spend? I have some friends who really enjoy spending. They have make good money. They feel they want to buy fancy things. And I think that there's nothing wrong with that to be that kind of person. But I recognize that when I spend too much time with them, that I get sucked into that as well. And that's not really what I value. On the other end, I spend time with people who are very frugal. They can sometimes frustrate me because they can't decide what restaurant to go to or if we should uh, drive on uh, you know, the toll highway or not. So these kind of conversations can frustrate me too because I'm thinking, the toll high will get us there half, you know, half an hour faster. I think that's worth it. They're thinking that's nah, not worth it. So, you know, on both ends, there are people that I really try to manage who I do spend my time with so that their money values align with mine and we don't have those 
frustrating conversations. We will have Robin Thomas on the program next week to talk about this and other things that she's been uh, covering on her blog. And so look forward to that conversation. Uh, today on the program, really enjoyed my conversation with Tal Schwartz, uh, the author of the FinTech uh, Canada newsletter, talking about crypto investing, how to avoid getting scammed. A lot of great tips there on how, if you're interested, you can get involved with crypto investing. And as well, speaking to the Deputy Commissioner of FCAC about the end of Financial Literacy Month. And uh, Dr. Supriya Sayal had some great tips that going into 2024, really do that holistic check of your money to see where you can do better, where you can save better, where you can spend better, where you can just get a better handle on your finances altogether. I want to thank all of you for listening today. I hope you got something out of all those conversations. Uh, we will be back here same time next week, same channel. I'm Rubina Ahmed Huck. This is For What It's Worth.